السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ ویلکم ٹو نا ڈرائیو ٹائم شو اینڈ یور ہوسٹ تھری از می ساد احمد تھری فار دا فرسٹ ٹائم آئی بی اسٹارٹنگ آف تھری اینڈ مائی کو پرزینٹ تھری از شرجیل صاحب ہیوی الحمد للہ بائی دا گریس آف ڈیٹی السلام علیکم رحمۃ اللہ ٹو آل اوا گیس اینڈ آف کورس یور سیلف ایز ویل پیس بی اپن یو اینڈ آف کورس آل اوا لسنرز ایز ویل اینڈ از گن بی از گن بی کوائٹ کوائٹ این انٹرسٹنگ Uh, quite an inter- interesting uh, drive time show today as well with some you know very very um interesting topics um but before we actually get into the topics you know you know that the the the, the winter is here when you come into the drive time stu- you come into the voice of islam studio and it's dark outside yes <laughs> you know obviously at the end of the time the clocks went back an hour and then uh, you know before um we used to come out of the <laughs> out of the studio and then it was dark but now even coming into the studio uh, is you know it's, it's already getting, getting dark it's already getting dark outside as well um you know that's just that's just the way that's just the way it is you know days sometimes you know i remember coming even coming out of school um and then you know it was dark outside and yes. you would wonder is it is it nine o'clock at night time but it was actually you look at you look at your clock you look at your watch and uh, it's only you know, it's only 330 it's only four o'clock and you wonder you know you still have the rest of the day the evening and then you still have the night but then you know the 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 it's so dark outside that you, you just wonder as well even just when I was coming uh, to yeah. the voice of Islam studio yeah. I took the bus and I saw you know young children and coming out of school and going towards the buses I was like yeah. oh, that was one time I used to be doing the same thing <laughs> exactly. and the outside is getting darker and darker every day it's like okay no progress this will this time will pass and then then you remember okay school time was one of the best times you were in <laughs> but today it's not our topic that's not our yeah, topic today that's, that's not the topic today <laughs> that's not the topic today the, today I mean the topic uh, for today that we are going to be discussing is uh, in the first part of the show we're going to be talking about speech delays And, uh, you know, it's just one of the things which um, because of the pandemic, because of um, because of COVID-19, we went through quite a lot. And it's, you know, children especially, they, they were affected quite a lot because of the pandemic. You know, schools were closed. Um, it, it, you know, let's face it, it was a lockdown. Uh, it was a lockdown for, you know, quite the majority part of the year. Even even those children who were sitting their exams, their GCSEs, their A, their A-levels, even they 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 you know they couldn't they couldn't actually sit their exams but you know those are the those were the children who were coming sort of towards the end or sort towards towards the end of their compulsory studies but those children who were actually starting studying yes. going into nursery going into reception starting school um sometimes even before that sometimes even preschool because it was a lockdown because of there was a pandemic um and you know schools were closed children were affected by that so that's something that we're going to be speaking a little bit more about in the first part of the show the second part of the show uh we're going to be speaking about uh, veganism so that's going to be quite interesting as well um so if you want to get in touch with us if you want to call us the lines are open 0208687787 it is a number for you to call you can also of course um uh, hit us up on our socials on our twitter handle on our uh, uh, voice of islam at, at you know at voice of islam uk or on our um, uh, instagram page which is also voice of islam uk as well so you know g- hit us up on our socials as well uh, if you have of course if you have any um thing that you want to share with us you can also do so by calling us as well 
And the question we were also asking today on Instagram was, hmm. could you adopt a vegan lifestyle for a month? Hmm. More about that in the next hour, and we'll go straight into our first show regarding Speechly. I think, um, Shajil, you having yes. first-hand experience on this, right? You have a young child <laughs> who just um, is in nursery or in the first year. Yeah, uh, he's in he's in a uh, reception. A reception. <laughs> Sometimes you know it's funny <laughs> because I I I'm used to saying oh let's go to you know let's go to let's go to nursery. I need to do, we need to drop you off in nursery, and because that was last year. And then he just says, "Oh no! Oh, do you mean reception? Yeah. Because he's in reception, <laughs> reception now. now." He said, "No, no, no! I'm not in nursery anymore. I'm in reception now." So, um, so you know, it's uh, he's 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 in reception um, uh, as well. So yeah, um, but the thing is, it was good for me specifically because. He wasn't. Um, I mean, when the pandemic was there, he didn't. Uh, he didn't actually go to school because he was too young, right? Okay. So I was fortunate that uh, you know he didn't actually get impacted uh, uh, in that regard. But obviously, I can, I can sympathize with those parents who who couldn't send their children to school to those children as well, who even who couldn't go to school because the schools were closed. It was a it was a dreadful time as well. We all. As I mentioned before, that we we're all affected. We were all affected by the by the pandemic, some way or another. You know, sometimes when it comes, because of course it was it was an unprecedented time, uh, and there is one demographic that is now experiencing effects of COVID nineteen, and the and you know because of the because of the lockdowns and all of these uh, restrictions as well. The thing is, is that. For the safety, yes, of course, it was it was really good, and I'm I'm not saying, and we're not saying that you know we're we're against the lockdown, we're against uh, these these things, uh, because of course you know safety does come first, but you know there there was sort of uh, this side effect that uh, that sort of happened, and it was to happen as well. Um, what about the effect of COVID babies? Now, it's it's scientifically recognised that from birth until the age of five. The development of children is especially crucial for their long-term well-being. So, when there is a, a a sort of a dramatic lifestyle change during this period, a a child's mental development can also be impacted, um, you know, I- I- immensely. However, th- there has also been a variety of physical effects uh, which have been documented on um, you know on different uh, you know on, on different pages on different. Uh, uh, articles which people professionals have actually conducted as well. The Early uh, Intervention Foundation published a report reviewing the impact of co- uh, pandemic life on physical development in the early years, um, and that has been recorded on www.eif.org.uk. And the report is, you know, about growing up in COVID nineteen pandemic, and evidence a review of the impact of pandemic life on physical development in the early years, as well. And they have uh, suggested evidence that. There has been increased in uh, increases in obesity rates of four to five year olds from nine point nine percent twenty nineteen to twenty twenty two fourteen point four percent. So that's quite a lot. Well, that's quite alarming, yes. you know. Uh, it is interesting to note that in Islam, it is stressed that food should be served according to a prescribed measure, and this will teach the child contentment and also discourage gluttony, uh, gluttony as well. Um, also, su- substantial increases in food secur- insecurity, along with increases in unhealthy choices in everyday meals and snacking as well. And I remember 
um, that, I mean, in Islam, it is taught in Islam that a child should be given a variety of foods. And it should not should not just have meats, but it should have, you know, meats, vegetables and fruits. It should have a variety of different things as well. And I remember His Holiness, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, he also mentioned, uh, you know, b- when, when this pandemic was actually coming into place as well, when it was coming quite quite fearful, that that you know the 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 preservatives are in these foods, in these crisps, and all of these other snacks as well. So you, one should try to avoid these things as well, especially in the days of the uh, pandemic as well. So you know it, it was, uh, and he's only just mentioned some other things uh, also. But let's. Um, Let's guess, uh, let's get our guest who is on the line with us. Our first guest for this show, Dr. Louise Tracy, who's a senior research fellow at the University of York. Uh, peace be upon you. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Good afternoon. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for joining us this afternoon. To begin with, can you please uh, give a brief summary of your research uh, for the benefit of our listeners, please? Okay, yes. Um, we, we were looking at the relationship between children's experience of the pandemic and their academic achievement and their social-emotional development during their first year at school. So this was reception-aged children, so four to five years of, old, of age, um, 2020 to 2021. And um, our main finding was that um, children's attainment levels at the end of reception were below what could have been expected based on previous pre-pandemic cohorts. And this included um, good level of development and communication and language. Dr. Tracy, do you know how important are language and communication skills for children to do well in school learning? Um, Oh, they're very important. they they link um, closely with later academic attainment. Mm-hmm. Um, they're important because they enable a child to access the whole curriculum that's on offer within schools. Okay. And then at this age, it, it helps with things like understanding instructions, engaging in imaginative play with their peers or the children and adults, and understanding and responding to those around them. Okay, thank you. You know, um, Dr. Tracy, how important are the language and communication skills of parents, especially those whose first language isn't English? And how does this impact children's ability to achieve the expected standard of language and communication? Okay, we we um, we did find that um, children who are English and language learners. Mm-hmm. Um, did do um, less well um, at the end of reception than children who have English as a first language. Okay. Um, so that was an area of particular concern. And it may be a bit unsurprising because um, the attainment relies heavily on proficiency in English and English or language skills at that age. And parents and, and what we call the home learning environment are really important skills in developing children's language. Um, so particularly for EAL pupils, there is evidence that EAL pupils do relative, can do relatively well compared to um, their non-EAL counterparts. Overall, um, they do tend to be behind their non-EAL peers in academic attainment. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, it's the quality of the, the home learning environment. So it's 
the good news is it's more important what parents do than their occupation or their education. So it's about spending time That's um, with your with your children. Um, I think it's also important to to re-emphasise the the value of being um, for children being duolingual or multilingual. Um, mm-hmm. Maintenance of the first language is has been seen to accelerate the progress of learning English as a second language. Um, and um, you know, parents with English and additional language can, can use their own language to, to encourage vocabulary development with their children and um, activities that they can, they can enjoy with their child. Um, I think it's important just to remember that you know, these are tools for the child to, to learn and if they have vocabulary in one language, it's easier to learn it in another language. So it's about activities, reading books, play, making sure it's child-led, um, those kind of things, really. You know, Dr. Tracy, it's really well said, you know, reading and playing with them and also what's it called, expanding the word cubs. So in yeah. your opinion, what are the long-term effects on children um, of your study may experience in the future due to the abnormal early years of education? What can parents or guardians do to prevent this? Um, well, some the kind of activities that I've just mentioned uh, are really, really important. Yes. Um, and also bearing in mind the child's age, and we're talking about very young children. The good news is very young children are very um, flexible, and, you know, there is a lot. I don't like talking about educational catch-up, because I think that's unfair on the child. I think that children, we shouldn't be, you know, putting our um, academic attainment goals in front of them and expecting them to to all children reach them. I think it's about something that we need to look at and bear in mind for the future mm-hmm. and, and see see how that happens. Um, I think enhancing the home learning environment will always help. Um, there's also evidence that um, children who attended earlier settings um, during the pandemic, because, for example, their parents were key workers, okay. were more advanced than um, than those who were at home during lockdown. And there is evidence that high-quality early-year settings like nurseries and there is free childcare provisions for, you know, three- to four-year-olds. That's also really um, significant for children's language development. Perfect. Thank you so much, Dr. Tracy, and hopefully our um, listeners today have learned something new and um, hopefully they are able to take something back home with this. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. Have a nice day. You too. Thank you for your time. Thank Bye. you. Bye. So, Sajil, you know, she has, um, Dr. Tracy has mentioned quite a few things today and uh, hopefully the listeners were paying attention to this he said um, yeah. um, those parents who were key workers or who were working somewhere in NHS or somewhere mm. those children were more developed when they both came together those uh, against those who were staying at home mm. so I, I, it's, it's I think interesting. it is interesting because obviously if, if any, any child is at home and is not sort of you know going out meeting other children or meeting other people as well that can have an effect on you know the the upbringing yes. of uh, of uh, of any particular child as well. I mean, it's natural, isn't it? If you if you're if you're if you're stay if you're staying at home, um, you're not exposed to the outer world. Your you, your your mind cannot develop as much as those people, those children, who have you know who, who do go outside, who do go to the 
to to go you know do, they do meet other people even if it's family members yes even if it's other you know other children you know you have um you know nursery preschools and all of these things as well um so it it is important to actually make sure that the children are also um meeting other people isn't it and uh, it's good for the de- their de- their development not just physically but mentally as well yes that's really correct but because one of my cousins she had a daughter just pre-pandemic mm. and obviously when she was growing up and she, during pandemic no one was able to go yeah. meet her or anything and when i went after i think six seven months she was scared for yeah. of me okay who is this person just yeah. suddenly coming into my life like this exactly and then after, after some time when they get used to me okay, okay he, this guy is here and still, then they uh, she calmed down a bit but mm. the first reaction was well, who is this guy is this person, why is yeah. he here exactly exactly so uh, that's what I was saying that even if it's even if the you know children are not meeting the family members who are even close you know it, that can still have you know uh, an effect on them as well um let's uh, let's get our let's get our next guest who is on the line with us uh, Dr Dr Gerald Giesbrecht uh, peace be upon you good afternoon and welcome to the show hello Hello you're a clinical Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for for joining us this afternoon. You're a clinical psychologist who is uh, associate professor in the departments of uh, pediatrics and community health sciences at the University of Calgary. It's it's an honor and a privilege to have you on the show. To begin with, could you summarize your findings um for for our listeners please? Sure. Um so early on in the pandemic um you know all of us at the university got sent home essentially <laughs> with the lockdown orders mm. yeah um and most of our research programs were shut down so we started to think about uh you know what can we do that would um uh, be helpful and one of the things that we were quite concerned about was uh the future of uh young children and specifically those who'd be born during the pandemic so We decided to um start very early with the uh pregnant individuals and we enrolled 10,000 pregnant individuals across Canada and what we hoped to do was to try to understand their experiences of the pandemic specifically stress and mental health during the pandemic and then follow up and look at their babies and see how their babies were developing so at one year of age we did an uh a questionnaire with the uh parents called the ages and stages questionnaire which is a standardized tool that we use to screen for neurodevelopmental problems it's important to note that this tool isn't an assessment of developmental delay but it does tell us which children are at risk for developmental delay so we wanted to compare these babies born during the pandemic to some babies who were born right before the pandemic. So we collaborated with a colleague at the University of Toronto who also used this ages and stages questionnaire at 1 year of age. And what we found was that actually most children were doing well and meeting their developmental milestones in both of these cohorts. But overall, there were more infants who were at risk for delay in the communication gross motor and personal social domains in the babies who were born during the pandemic. And what this means is that we do have more infants with signs that their development isn't where we want it to be in the babies born during the pandemic compared to um just prior to the pandemic. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you, Doctor. Uh, you know, with your research found that infants born during the pandemic had a significantly higher risk for development delay in communication ability compared to those who were pre-pandemic. Is this completely due to a lack of interaction with others or are there other factors that cause this? Yeah, great question. I think that really is what we yes. all want to know. And it's, it's going to take some time for us to sort through these causes. But certainly lack of opportunity for interaction is one likely cause. Mm-hmm. We know that the brain grows in a use-dependent way. So babies who spend less time in situations requiring communication, they might have fewer opportunities to stimulate the development of communication centers in their brain. Mm-hmm. So... Another reason related to this might be lack of social interest. Babies who have fewer opportunities for social interaction might actually just be less motivated or interested in communicating with, with others. And, you know, from previous disaster studies, we know that stress probably plays a role. The experience of stress during pregnancy can result in developmental delay. And the reasons for this are probably to do with the stress signals that get sent across the placenta and change the way that the baby develops in the womb. So, Doctor, you know, you had around, you said 10,000 pregnant women for research, and they were helping you out also. So, in your professional opinion, why is it that children with older siblings can experience having speech delays if they are technically socialising with other children at home? Because obviously, not all of of those 10,000... They must have all the siblings. Yeah, that's right. And this is a great question. You know, parents <laughs> are uh, often asking about this. Um, speech is a complex process, and so there's many factors that contribute. And so, you know, because of that, there's many factors that could actually potentially interfere. One of the primary factors that could be affecting speech development in infants during the pandemic is limits in the number of different speakers that the infant hears. Mm -hmm. We know that exposure to a variety of different speakers, all of whom say words in a slightly different way, they structure sentences and ideas in slightly different ways, and this variety is actually very helpful for speech development. So having older siblings at home might be great in terms of a conversation partner, but if conversations are limited to just a few people, that can limit the the kinds of speech development and stimulation that the infant receives. Mm-hmm. Parents often are concerned about a talkative older sibling who who sort of takes over and dominates the conversation. And um, certainly, you know, that can happen. But the research really shows that a talkative older sibling probably isn't a cause of speech delay. Okay. But instead, sometimes what happens is that the younger child already has a speech delay, and the older sibling compensates by talking for them. And of course, that's not, you know, uh, obviously the, the older sibling is doing that to try to be helpful, but it, it works out to not be terribly helpful in the end. Birth order can impact some language skills. For example, firstborn infants tend to reach 50 words earlier than laterborn infants. But those differences, they seem to kind of vanish over time, and they don't actually contribute to language delay. Okay, that's, that's something new I've, I've learned today, that a first-born infant learns 40 more words than the last-born infant, as you just mentioned. 
Um, it's just that the older siblings tend to achieve uh, a vocabulary of 50 words, oh, 50 words. earlier wow. than yeah earlier than the the later born children. So they're just a little bit quicker. But you know, if you measure them a little bit later in development, like three four years of age, mm-hmm. those differences have disappeared by that time. So, doctor, you know, if uh, if if you could share your um, view on the importance of socializing in in the early years of a child's life with our viewers. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you asked me this question because it is so essential to uh, a child's development. One mm-hmm. of the things that distinguishes humans from other species is the complexity of our social organization. Okay. And there's actually a theory that one of the reasons humans have such large brains is that we need a lot of processing power to be able to navigate the complexity of our social life. This complexity actually (laughs) requires a lot of practice. And the ways that we practice this with babies Mm -hmm. is through everyday kinds of interactions. So I'll just point out a few kinds of interactions that are essential. So playing with infants, even very, very young infants, demonstrates a couple of things to the infant. One that you're interested in them, mm-hmm. and this begins to help them develop the social bond that later blossoms into things like attachment. Okay. Consistently being there for the infant and meeting their needs promptly and gently is kind of the secret sauce that helps the, the child to start on the right social and emotional track. Playing mm-hmm. also creates opportunities for turn-taking, and this is enormously important for infants because it helps them develop a sense that the people in their world pay attention to what they're doing and they respond appropriately. Mm-hmm. The, the Harvard Center for the Developing Child refers to this as serve and return. And you can kind of sort of think about a tennis match. You know, okay. the baby coos and you return with a matching coo. The baby points to something that, and you look at the thing that the baby's pointing at and you talk about it. And this okay. kind of everyday interaction are literally stimulating the development of new connections in the brain. And, okay. you know, sadly, when infants don't get this kind of stimulation, they don't develop these connections. And unfortunately, as time goes on, it becomes more difficult for infants to develop these kinds of brain com- connections. So having lots of opportunities to interact with caring and sensitive people is essential for brain development, and it's essential for pretty much every other skill that we care about, like language development, healthy social development, and, you know, the list goes on. Thank you, Dr. Gerald. You know, I've learned quite a lot today from you, and especially I had never knew about this, that a firstborn infant learns quicker um, in the early stages than a later born infant and also like what you said if if a child is looking at something and when he when you respond back to him let's say for example the sky and say okay that's the sky then the the brain picks up those um what's called words and later on he starts using those words it, him, himself or herself and with this you know i would like to thank you for joining us today on the drive time show here in the uk Thank you so much for having me. I really Thank appreciate you, Doctor. It. Take Have care. You too. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. So, so very, very interesting, uh, you know, conversation. Yes. And some, some new things that, you know, I also uh, l- uh, learned as well, and hopefully the, the listeners benefited uh, from from that as well. 
Um, you know, sometimes we sometimes we we try to take the easy way route, uh, easy way out, and uh, instead of actually giving time um, to our children, we give that time or we try to substitute that time because we want to do something else, and then we substitute that time or that parenting to to the to the phone or to the yes. TV or to the tablet or whatever. And that sometimes, you know, so it is the easy way. Is it is the easy way out? It is easy to actually do that as well. Sometimes you need to do that. In some <laughs> you have experience well. in this. <laughs> but then, but then the thing is, is that if that sort of becomes a habit, if mm-hmm. the if the TV is your third parent, you know, um, then that is that can be that can lead to you know detrimental things after as well, which is not you know which is not which is not that nice, and you don't want to sort of experience that as well. Um, because you don't know, isn't it? You don't yes. know what the you don't know if they you know if you're if they're using a tablet, um, you know they might click on something else and they might yeah, because I had I have one cousin who was using his uh, his father's phone or tablet or whatever, <laughs> and he was playing a game right, and then you know these days in uh, you know in in, in games uh, which are on your phones or tablets or whatever, then you have add-ons right, yes. and then you f- to actually get that. Add-on, you have to pay money, like real money. Okay. And so, so, that, so he was, so he was young, isn't he? So he was just clicking on different things. He doesn't even know what he was doing. So he was just clicking on different things, and he actually bought something for like two hundred pounds or something. Wow! So a bill came, and then he didn't. Even, his father didn't even realize. And then when his money got taken out of his bank, then he realized that you know what yeah. had happened. <laughs> so obviously, there's no way to return that money as well because you've paid for it. Right, it's not like it was stolen. You yeah. you paid for it. Yeah. Fine, your child paid for it. <laughs> but I mean, that is a loss. But that's the thing, isn't it? You, that's the thing. If you don't, supervision is key as well. Isn't yes, supervision. But you know, sometimes key. even the children are a bit clever. Yeah. So my <laughs> uncle, right. uh, he has an, uh, on his iPad, right? And he he gave it to her daughter, right? And she must have bought something. And for that, you need you need uh, Face ID mm. you know, to uh, enter the purchase. Right, right, right. She said, um, "Abu Abu means dad. Yeah. Abu, look." <laughs> and he looked and he said, ding, and that's yeah, it. That's <laughs> he was it. like, what happened here? <laughs> so this also yeah, happens sometimes. Yeah, sometimes, you know, kids become... Uh, <laughs> the parents. <laughs> they, 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 they realize, you know, they realize how to, how to get what they want. They realize how to get what they want and they know how to be, like you said, they know how to be clever. They know how to get their way as well. So it is interesting. It is interesting. It's really interesting. But sometimes you see um, that it's... Uh, because sometimes children are not interacting physically, right, with yes. someone else, even if it's their parents, even if they're siblings mm-hmm. or, you know, whoever, you know, if they're not physically interacting with someone and they're constantly on, you know, in front of the TV, you know, watching whatever, or they're on their iPads or whatever, right, then because they're not socializing with, with their peers, with their with their brothers and sisters, with their parents or anyone else, and they that that has a that has a negative effect on their speech development as well. Mm-hmm. And this is why we're doing a you know a topic about yes. this as well. That if they if they have this speech impairment or pe- or speech um, speech impairment or speech delay or what what have you, because there's different forms as well, isn't it? There's some some kids can't speak properly. Some yes. take longer to to speak. Some stutter in this in their speech. So there's different forms of that as well. But one of the things is related to the fact that they're not socializing yes. physically, and sometimes 
um, sometimes parents or you know they they don't even realize that this you know how 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 bad of an effect this is having on their children. Yes. So that's quite that's, that's, that's something to, to that's know what well. Doctor Gerald also said. Yeah, when when your older siblings they are trying to help you by answering for you, and instead it sometimes it's doing harm to them. And what happens is the, your older brother, your older sister says, "Okay, dad." Mom, uh, he or she needs this and that, and the baby himself is not able to communicate then because mm. he knows my brother knows what gestures I'm doing, mm. and he will answer for me every single time. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes that's how it is as well. Yeah, and that that was quite interesting what he was saying as yes. well. That sometimes it's it's one of the siblings that's actually talking for the other one uh, as well, isn't it? Um, so all of these things are actually quite uh, quite interesting. Um, Let's move the conversation on uh, further to uh, yes. you know with our next guest who is on the line with us, Janet Cooper, who's a speech and language therapist uh, with extensive uh, experience of children's development, speech, language, and communication difficulties. Peace be upon you. Good afternoon. Uh, welcome to the show, Janet. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for for joining us this afternoon. And um, to begin with, what role do parents play in in overcoming speech delays? So parents' input is absolutely crucial. If you think about how we learn language, it comes from the world around us and through those everyday opportunities and interactions that we have with other people. And so parents are in the most important place to be able to be that first role model, to give those opportunities to mix with others and to know what their child's likes and dislikes are so they can introduce the right things at the right time. And I think sometimes parents underestimate the amount of you know, how important they are in that child's journey. Interesting, interesting. Um, now, just leading on from that as well, I'd like to ask that, what, what activities could uh, could parents do with their with their children to sort of develop and progress their, their language skills even further? Yep, so there's lots of everyday opportunities. It doesn't have to be something you work at. So mm. just talking together, playing together, reading together and singing together all those things are really important to be part of your daily routine no matter what age your child is um there's some fantastic uh, resources if parents aren't sure about kind of what activities to do or they've not had experience of that uh, we've worked with somebody called the bbc tiny happy people campaign and they've got lots of activities that are free for parents on their website um, but there's also things that can support speech that are things we might do that might actually hinder speech and language. So mm. things we know that having the TV on a lot in the background can slow down children's talking. Mm. So making sure within your day you've got some quiet times with TV and radio and, and music turned off. We also know that having dummies and bottles in for a long time for young children can slow the speech development as well. So mm. again... Yeah. We are. We advise gone by one for those things. Interesting. Interesting. Um, now, uh, do, do do you think or feel that interaction with teachers and other children at school is sort of just is enough? Um, is enough uh, socialization for you know to help these issues, or is there something else that that needs to be done as well? There's more to be done. So schools are fabulous learning environments, but they can't always offer that one-to-one time with your children, mm. and they can't always offer small groups or cater to what your child's specific needs are. So the home environment is perfect for learning communication skills. You know, that chance to take turns, make eye contact, know when to listen and when to respond. 
and at home we feel relaxed and we feel safe so we're more likely to have that social communication opportunity as well and um, parents can introduce things that children enjoy with no pressure um, and no worry about the learning outcome whereas schools are very much kind of you know pushing towards what are they going to learn from that subject um, and again another sort of tip for families really is pour the words in and eventually those words will come out so you do need to do a lot of talk to encourage your children to be, start to become talkers as well interesting um, now would you say that uh, because you know we get this question uh, asked uh, as well uh, if you could just t- tell us with your expertise would you say that raising children in a multilingual household the, would that sort of hamper or would that aid their speech development because sometimes young children they, they're speaking two languages um, or even sometimes maybe even more than that as well yeah yeah absolutely we would you uh, in speech and language therapy we would always encourage to speak more than one language if that's accessible to you we know from lots of research that children who learn more than one language have got greater access to certain parts of their brain than monolingual children so um, there's emotional benefits it means that you can uh, learn about your own culture you've got family values you've got that attachment with your parents through your home language but there's also cognitive learning benefits as well. Mm. Uh, again, research shows us that children who are multilingual have got better creative thinking skills and they're more flexible in the way they think. Um, they also kind of learn how language works because so they're switching between the, the different languages, which puts them ahead sometimes for their literacy, literacy and reading skills later on at school. So definitely a positive thing. Um, and I also think home language is your social language. It's that building block, isn't it, about being emotionally secure. So if we can encourage children to speak their home language first, hmm. that gives them a really good foundation to learn other languages later on. That's interesting because sometimes, uh, I don't know, I, I have heard this, I don't know if it's true or not, but some sometimes people say that uh, you know your, your mother language or your home language, uh, you should try to sort of discourage that and then speak if you're living here in the UK and speak English more at home, but if you're saying that it's, it's actually good, it's better to to speak the mother language or the home language, you know, in the in the household with your parents or your brothers and sisters, then that's actually a good thing um, yeah. for the development. That's that's great. It is. I mean, obviously, we want to socialise children into other languages as well. So, but you mm. can do your home language at home and then offer those experiences out in the community to pick up the English from the world that's around. So, yeah. learning both is definitely a positive. That's that's great. That's great. Um, what what resources does the Royal College of Speech and Language Therapists offer to help those uh, those children who have sort of you know delayed uh, language disorders? Yeah. So the Royal College of Speech and Language Therapists is the professional body for my profession, speech therapy, and they provide a lot of training and resources mainly for the profession, hmm. but partner with agencies like the BBC, Tiny Happy People, and there's another national agency called Speech and Language UK that have then got resources that parents can find online and follow that, that advice at home. Um, and both those sites have got lots of game ideas, they've got like what's normal at what age and, and things like that that parents might find really useful. Hmm. Very interesting, and and thank you for that, Janet, for for joining us, and uh, you know sharing your expertise with us and our listeners, as well. Thank you so much once again, and have a have a lovely day. Lovely, thank you. Thank you, thank you.
So some interesting um, uh, uh, points there, isn't it? Yes. I, I mean, uh, it's quite true. I, I actually heard, you know, the opposite, but then that's actually that's that's quite reassuring, you know, what uh, what Janet actually mentioned there as well. And it's good to to actually um, hear that speaking more than one language is actually is actually is actually a good thing. I mean, um, sometimes you see that 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 children it, it might seem as if it's difficult for mm-hmm. them to actually progress in both languages at the same time but it's actually because they because they're sort of unlocking new gateways or new sort of um, uh, you know processes in their in their brain that they can develop more right they can develop more and they can actually understand they can comprehend um, you know different things in different languages as well yes and it's I think it's a positive it's a very good even thing. like for example myself no right and even you, by for example, <laughs> you know English, Urdu, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And when I was young, my first language was Urdu, right. and then then a dialect, let's say, it's called Punjabi. Yeah. It's it's not Urdu, but as it's a, a different language, language. It's a different language, it's language, but it's a dialect. You can say right. You can say you can. Say. So that was my second language. Like a slang type. That was slang type of um, yeah. um, Urdu, right? Right. But that was my second language, and then when I went into uh, kindergarten. Or nursery mm. in Germany. Oh, you went Germany as well. Oh, yeah, okay, I was born okay. in Germany. By oh, the way, right. for the audience listening, I was born in Germany. <laughs> so my third language then was German. So you're fluent in German as well. Well, yeah, I I understand German fully. Right. But uh, sometimes when I'm speaking, for example, I'll I'll be stopping right. Yeah. But if I go back to Germany and for another, if I say a week or two there, and then it comes, then you'll pick it. You'll I'll pick, pick it up, up again, yeah. and I can speak a German really comfortably again because mm. I, I did five years over there. Then I came over here, mm. skipped a few years in the middle, and then started it. <laughs> <laughs> what but, would you say you're you're more comfortable in English or German? Then? Well, now it's English, right? Oh, is right, it? Yes, now oh, okay. it's really uh, English is because I've been because I'm sorry, not using any slangs, eh? because I've been using um, speaking English for the past twelve years now. Ah, oh, okay. So yeah. it's been in, on a regular spent more base. time here. So yes. Yeah. So, yeah. but the base, my base, was based on the. Pakistan language Urdu mm. and from there I've learned other languages so yeah. that was my base and as Janet even said if, if you learn your home language this, this will open different doors and different gateways, gateways and, different doors, yeah. and it will you'll be able to learn quicker than a monolinguistic exactly. person exactly that's interesting and also you know sometimes I don't know if you've noticed this as well but sometimes in you know when you're speaking a different language that can change your mood Kind yes. of, and and the way that you, you, your 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 character is kind of uh, in English, you know, you you'll be this specific, uh, you know, you you talk like this and you behave like like this, but then when you speak a different language, you behave in a slightly different way. That's maybe a, it's uh, I know, I've seen it because it happens to me. <laughs> so because you know, when I, when I'm when, sure I'm, when well. I'm on a jolly mood, I speak Punjabi with my parents and my. <laughs> Relatives, right? Yeah. And when I'm a bit serious, I want to get something worked done. English or yeah. high high Urdu, yeah. right? That's, and th- that's the way I go. Then that's the, that's the way it is. That's the way it is. Um, let's uh, let's let's speak to our next guest uh, who's on the line with us, Emma uh, uh, Emma Dibden, who's uh, education advisor for Geo Assessment and is a former special education needs coordinator with teaching experience both in the UK and internationally, but most recently in Dubai, UAE. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Good afternoon and welcome to the show, Emma. 
Hi there. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, to begin with, can you can you explain to our listeners what the Welcome uh, toolkits are and what they sort of include? Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me to today's conversation. It's been fascinating listening to Gerald and Janet. The Welcome toolkits uh, were actually uh, designed by colleagues uh, like Janet, who are speech and language therapists, mm-hmm. um, and they were designed with the aim of providing an assessment and an intervention resource for staff in early year settings and now in primary schools as well. Um, but when I sort of say an assessment, it doesn't feel like an assessment for the child uh, because they'll work with a familiar adult who observes them in their learning environment and works through a series of prompts and tasks to measure their communication skills and then they can use the information from that assessment and it's a really simple traffic light system to identify and respond to specific areas of challenge uh, to help children to close the gaps where they have them in communication and speech um, and the activities and strategies that are there are used both in the the school or the early years environment and in many cases in the home learning environment too. So, you know, sort of a great all-round tool that we have colleagues using. Great. You know, Emma, you just mentioned you've been working with schools also. And can you share um, how the Welcome has made a difference in young children's lives? Absolutely. As a a former SENCO myself, I used Wellcom previously too, but now working for GL Assessment and supporting colleagues using it in uh, early year settings. Mm -hmm. We've got colleagues using it in school, local authorities, international schools and so on. And a couple of weeks ago, um, we hosted a a global assessment conference. um, And I, I think on that because we had a couple of colleagues from a school in Dubai who shared their experiences of using the toolkit. And like many of the schools that we supported, they started using the tool with a small group of children, but mm-hmm. then they soon began working with all pupils as they started school because they realised the impact uh, and, and the way in which they could support parents in improving those language and communication skills. Um, and what was really powerful, actually, is that one of the colleagues who was presenting spoke on her own as experience as a parent and how her uh, young son was screened and supported with the resources uh, in such a way that he didn't need any further specialist uh, intervention um, and so that's you know it's sort of it's the powerful stuff from uh, helping a group of students and making sure that we identify their needs early but all the way through to the individual impact for mm-hmm. those children who may be experiencing some challenges. Yeah as you just mentioned, mentioned um, that this toolkit was even given to Dubai um, itself do you find that there was an increase in this um, use of toolkits um, during or after the pre oh sorry the pandemic well i think it was gerald who talked a little earlier didn't yes. he about the kind of it, that being one of the causes and we certainly found that sort of following the pandemic a lot of settings and schools both in the uk and overseas reached out and you know as i mentioned being there as a senko myself we could see that when children were returning uh, to school or were starting school or nursery for the first time and they'd missed those opportunities for socialization and and, and those language rich and play rich learning opportunities that they get from the typical learning environment mm-hmm. uh, staff were commonly describing the effects that that remote learning had had and of course the mask wearing protocols had meant that yes. children couldn't sort of see each other when they were talking and so on and that really had impacted the development of language communication skills for those 
youngest learners so yes they were they were looking for resources to help them to address those needs and and for many the Wellcom sort of provided what they were looking for really you know Emma you, you just mentioned face marks uh, masks here you know that it just clicked into my mind also yes that was also an effect for young children especially because they were unable to see each other they were I think even a bit scared to speak each, with, with, with each other at that point so my last and my final question to you today is if you can share um, with our listeners the importance of screening children for development delays so Obviously, I think, as as has been mentioned earlier again by one of yes. the other colleagues who spoke, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we obviously know that all children are individual and therefore, you know, they're going to develop in different ways and at different rates. It's definitely not a case of one size fits all. Um, so we would always sort of say it's important to monitor each child within the context of all the available information that you have. So, you know, parents and staff can build a picture, an evolving picture of strengths and challenges over time. But an effective screen or assessment tool can play a really important role in that process because it helps to provide some standardised data and information. And so I suppose so from the example of today's discussion, you know, a child's ability to communicate is fundamental, isn't it, as a life skill because it's yes. going to impact their ability to learn, to develop friendships and ultimately their life chances. So I suppose, you know, it's essential that staff... Uh, have the knowledge and the skills and the experience to quickly identify and screen for those barriers that might ultimately inhibit a child's success. So, you know, in many things in life, if you spot the issue early uh, through a screener, for example, you're more likely to be able to address it and do something about it. Perfect. Thank you so much, Emma, and hope our listeners have learned something new uh, listening to you today. And thank you so much for the great work you've, you've been doing. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be part of your conversation. Thank you so much. So this was Emma Dibden, who is an education advisor for Geo Assessment and is a former special educational needs coordinator with mm. teaching experience, both in the UK and internationally, most recently in the way as she even mentioned during the time. You know, I was surprised. You know, it wasn't in my mind regarding this, um, the face mask. Right. That was a. Is, this is also a key factor for the young children, mm. because they were unable to see each other. They were scared to speak with, with each other. Even us, who are um, elders, right? Uh, no, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm old, right? <laughs> but <laughs> for the young children, yeah. we're still uh, like uncles and aunties, right? <laughs> so even we were scared to um, to meet each other during the pandemic. So obviously, yeah. when a young child sees what's happening suddenly in the world, they they were scared to speak, and this was also a constant for their speech delays. Mm. Yeah, I mean, all of this, you know, the whole pandemic, it was, uh, you know, everyone was affected one way or another. And some people were affected more than uh, more than other people as well. Um, it, it is just something that we, you know, we, we had to go through. Yes. Um, and we had to, you know, we had to experience it. But uh, but obviously now that things are coming back to back to normal, it's uh, it's important for us to actually utilize all those different things which are available to us um you know instead of instead of you know shying away or instead of not actually um going into those things as well mm-hmm. um it's it's important for parents also right to to actually give time to their you know to their loved ones to the children to the young ones that's correct um and and quality time sometimes you know uh, sometimes we don't we we don't give proper time you know it's you give them time but you don't give them attention 
So that's why that's why I mentioned quality time. You know, sometimes it's that quality time. It doesn't even have to be that much, uh, a long duration. But that whatever time that you give the children needs to be a proper time so that the the children can also, you know, properly uh, develop as well. That's correct. Right, right. So you know, overcoming speech delays. Hmm. So as a parent yourself, uh, Shajil, having a child who has not yet reached the age appropriate milestones can be disheartening. But you should not lose hope, as Allah the Almighty promises in verse 287 of Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2 of the Holy Quran, that Allah the Almighty says, He burdens not any soul beyond its capacity. And whilst it is understandable that parents resort to technology to keep their children occupied, as you has mentioned earlier, Sirjil, yeah. it, is very, uh, it is more rewarding in the long run to f- um, follow the founder um, the, the, to follow the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the Prophet Messiah Salam, advised on the upbringing of children. He states that it is the responsibility of the parents to set the best example for the children and to do so, they must reform themselves firstly. Exactly. So, Shajil, you know, as, as the Prophet Messiah has stated, the parents should be, you know, the key role models for the children because the f- first teacher for a child is their parents is the, is the parents uh, of course of course now all of these things are very very you know uh, very important yes uh, and the, you know the the advancements as well the technological advancements are also there for our betterment as well but to to use them in moderation is is key now his holiness the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmad who is the fifth caliph of the promised Messiah upon whom be peace um, uh, may Allah may Allah be his helper he's mentioned that uh, parents are responsible for moral training and must ensure that they are an exemplary section of the Jamaat of the community and society. And this is not this is not only aimed at the you know those children who have been dedicated mm-hmm. by their parents, but all children must be taught how to communicate effectively and clearly from a from a very young age, as this is important this is an important life skill. And parents are responsible for for paying attention, particularly to secular and religious education, as well. And the 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 foundation of edu- the foundation of education, regardless of the type, is the ability to to exchange ideas, to exchange knowledge, and of of course opinions as well. Therefore, if if parents um, heed this as this advice, they will be setting their children up for great success as their children will be able to reap the rewards of schooling through their ability of clear communication as well and uh, so you know this is what we this is uh, this is our show or this is the first part of our show for today and it was very you know very interesting um you know talking about uh, talking about all these different things and of course and of course the guests that we spoke to as well join us after the news break as we will uh, come back and speak about uh, our next topic, which is about veganism. Do stay tuned. We'll be back after the news. Life of Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Treatment of neighbors. Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, always treated his neighbors with extreme kindness and consideration. He used to say that the angel Gabriel had emphasized consideration towards one neighbors so often that he sometimes began to think that a neighbor would perhaps be included among the prescribed heirs. Abu Dhar, peace be upon him, relates that the Holy Prophet, 
peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said to him, Abu Dar, while broth is being cooked for your family, add a little more water to it, so that your neighbor might also share in it. This does not mean that the neighbor should not be invited to share in other things, but as the Arabs were mostly a migratory people, and their favorite dish was broth, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, referred to this dish as a typical one, and taught that one should not think so much of the taste of the food as of the obligation to share it with one's neighbor. Abu Huraira, peace be upon him, relates, On one occasion the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, exclaimed, I call God to witness that he is not a believer. I call God to witness that he is not a believer. I call God to witness that he is not a believer. The companions inquired, Who is not a believer, O Messenger of Allah? And he replied, He whose neighbor is not secure against injury and ill treatment at his hands. On one occasion, when he was addressing women, he said, If anybody finds only the foot of a goat to cook, that person should share it with his or her neighbor. He asked people not to object to their neighbors driving pegs into their walls or putting them to any other use which occasioned no injury. Abu Huraira, peace be upon him, relates, The Prophet said, He who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should occasion no inconvenience to his neighbor. He who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should occasion no inconvenience to his guest. And he who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should utter only words of virtue or should keep quiet. Muslim Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Peace be upon you all and welcome back to the second hour of Drive Time Show on Voice of Islam. And the question we have been asking today is Can you adopt a vegan lifestyle for a month? So the answer came through is yes, 38%, and no, 62% have answered this question here. And you know, a veganism has gained immense popularity over the last few years, mm. both in diet and lifestyle, as a growing market trend. Yeah. According to Guardian, there are 79 million vegans around the world. In the 2021 Statistia Global Consumer Survey of United Kingdom consumers, about 3% of respondents said they were vegan. Mm. And that's a big number in my yeah, opinion it's a big now number. It's 79 million uh, vegans uh, around, around the, the world, world. <laughs> and it's good that it's good, it's good what you mentioned there in the beginning as well that it's uh, it, you know it's growing it's a growing market trend <laughs> <laughs> I mean the thing is is that uh, I don't know I don't know I don't know if I want to say this or not but um, veganisms you know vegans yeah. so, sometimes I think this is me just personally right I just think sometimes it's just they just want to be you know different you know oh I'm vegan I, I don't I don't have this I don't have that oh is this burger vegan oh yes I'll have it but the thing is but you have KFC vegan now you have Burger King so, vegan now it's so funny it's so funny because you have you have uh, if you go to a restaurant right yes you have a beef burger right a normal proper beef burger and mm-hmm. it will taste like a beef burger as well and then there's the other option you have uh, the the vegan beef burger and then it's just it's a beef burger but it's vegan and it it, it looks like a beef burger it sometimes it, 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 it i mean not all the time but they try to make the they try to make it taste like a beef burger as well mm-hmm. but the only thing is is that it is is vegan 
and uh, you just wonder if it's vegan shouldn't it have its own sort of shouldn't it look like something else shouldn't it taste like something else why are you trying to copy uh, what a normal burger looks like or what <laughs> what a normal beef burger looks like or what a normal chicken burger looks like why are you trying to copy that it's should, should have your own identity have, oh yeah that's, isn't it that's the correct word well, why are you trying to copy that so it, it is I don't know uh, that's just for me isn't it I'm, I'm not voicing any sort of um, it's just my opinion which I'm trying to say as well <laughs> so uh, you, so you're not pro-vegan or against veganism I, I'm right? not saying anything I'm not saying anything you can you <laughs> so, can think where you can think whatever okay, so I'll tell a bit uh, I'll tell the history about how it came into existence first of all the term veganism was first introduced in 1944 by Donald Watson and a, a, who was a member of the English Vegetarian Society who wanted to create a term for vegetarians who also didn't consume dairy. dairy sorry. No. By 1951, the definition had expanded to encompass a way of life that did not exploit animals. Hmm. Living without meat and byproducts is not a new phenomenon. In fact, it has been around for centuries, particularly in India and the Mediter- Mediterranean cultures. It has been mentioned by famous figures like the Greek philosopher Pythagoras around 500 BC and is sometimes interpreted in ancient Buddhist and Hindu scriptures. Hmm. So this is how it came. So in 1944, a gentleman called Donald Hmm. Watson, he uh, introduced the word veganism and it gained popularity in 1951 because of this. And now you have, you know, uh, many many food chains also joining into this um, trend where you have Kentucky Fried Chicken right KFC right. Yeah. But w- the word is chicken in there yeah. and they're s- serving ch- vegan chickens now there so they can encompass all those people well, yeah. all that market which is growing slowly and steadily yeah. I'll mention a few what's it called I mean th- before you actually do that as well I just want to uh, put it out there for our listeners yes I mean because you know we want to have a discussion right yes if if anybody thinks any different, if anyone has any opinions, this is why we mentioned it in the beginning as well, that the lines are open. If they want to contribute to the show, if they want to call us, um, if they want to you know, tell us what they think as well uh, about this about this veganism business, 0208-687-7878 is the number for you to call. That's 0208-687-7878. We, lo- we would love to hear your opinions uh, as well, what you think, uh, uh, you know, about this uh, industry or about this market trend that we mentioned in the beginning yes. as well. So, Shajil, you know, I had some um, pre-recordings with some guests already done beforehand and I'll replay them later on uh, yeah. throughout the show also. Yeah. But the first yeah. the things which I've learned from them was always have a balanced diet. And for Daisy, uh, for example, uh, Priya and Amturazak, um, Professor Amturazak Carmichael even said, you should always have everything but not excessively so don't have ex- meat excessively throughout mm. your week so let's say you have one day meat the next day you have veg- something veg- vegetarian the mm. other day you have something else so keep it into a balanced diet yeah so one thing being purely vegan or purely meat eaters yeah both have their disadvantages um there yeah we, i mean we're not saying as well that you know we're, we're against one particular no, no. type of people right well I- exactly what islam says and it's very beautiful that you mentioned that as well because in the holy quran um allah the almighty mentions that you know you should eat and drink 
but do not exceed the limit. Yes. Keep that keep that moderation. Keep that balance. And the 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 balance is 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 key. And you know, just like you mentioned, don't just say, okay, you know what, I'm gonna cut out vegetables, I'm gonna cut out all the fruits, I'm gonna cut out all the nuts or whatever, and I'm just gonna stick to meat. And uh, that's one side. Or mm-hmm. on the other side, don't do the opposite. You know, don't say I'm gonna cut out all the meats whatever it is uh, all together and I'm just going to go and do that um, so you know Islam actually says to do both things because Allah the Almighty He has created everything He's created all of these things mm-hmm. He's created meat for us He's created uh, all these lentils and all these other vegetables and plants and various other things as well that we need to consume as well for that balanced diet as well That's and if we if we keep that balance in check um, then we will be able to stay healthy you know, it's interesting as well that the, you know, the promised Messiah upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, he also mentioned that, that you know, in his one of his masterpieces, the philosophy of the teachings of Islam, that those people who just eat meat, right, they, yes. they just eat meat and leave out vegetables and fruits and everything, they just eat meat, um, uh, they, they, they become sort of... Uh, Hot tempered, angry, temper, angry. They, they get angry very quickly. And on the other hand, uh, yeah, and and they want to, they want to, get, they they're, they're always ready to 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 have a fight. They're always ready to, uh, you know, to 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 bust knuckles with other people as well. But on the other side, those people who only eat vegetables, those people who only eat plants and these sort of things, and they they don't eat meat altogether, any sort of meat, not even white meat, red meat, whatever. Then those people are tend to be a little bit more cowardly, right? They're a little bit more timid, uh, timid, you know. And uh, they 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 lack they lack bravery. They lack uh, this uh, this trait or this attribute of being courageous, right? So this is uh, this is because you know there is a famous saying, isn't it? You are what you eat. Yes. So if you if you're eating a balanced diet, you're gonna have all the good things from everywhere. You're gonna have, you know, the, the red meats, the white meats. You're gonna have the fruits, the vegetables, the nuts, all, all these other things as well, which have minerals, which have all of these um, good things as well, vitamins, which are which are essential for us, and they they they're good for our, you know, for 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 our, for our development. But you know, <laughs> it's sad to say that sometimes people people just want to be popular, <laughs> and then they they do they go to the extreme, yes. and the thing is is that. They want to normalize that extreme, and in doing so, they they ask uh, other people to 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 lower their rights or to to give up their rights so that they can get more rights. Mm-hmm. So that's and and we see this sort of same trend happening in other things as well. I won't go to too much detail. It's like a vibe thing, basically. It means you just want to go with the flow. Okay. The trend is going this way till I follow mm. the vibe now going yeah. towards that um, trend and then a few days, a few few months later the trend changes mm. and it becomes let's say meat lovers then suddenly exactly and all they be going towards that trend yeah trend it's, following it, that's trend. what it is that's what it is that's what it, sometimes you have uh, <laughs> um, uh, keto diets as well and so a lot of people are coming into keto diets and then you know they're doing keto diets and no sort no carbs whatsoever you know. But the thing is, is that carbs are very important as well. Yes. But the thing is, is that we, when we don't have that balance in check, right, that is when the problems occur. That is when the things, you know, when things start to go down, uh, when things start to go south. 
So that's uh, that's that's so what it is. That's why Sajil, you know, in the Holy Quran, it's one of the beautiful teaching what Allah has given us, right? Yeah, yeah. And Allah has given us the Holy Quran, our way of living. Mm. And in chapter forty, verse eighty, mm. it is stated, "Allah is uh, Allah is He who has made cattle for you, that you may ride on some of them and eat." Of some of them, yeah. So he didn't say you can ride all of them. He didn't say you can eat all of them. Yeah. Okay. There are some for you to ride for mm. your day-to-day transportation, and then there are some you can eat also for your uh, living, right? Exactly. To survive. Exactly. So exactly. He didn't say okay, just go out and start eating meat every day. A- any day. any oh, sort of meat, isn't any it? Yeah. S- any sort of meat. So that's the thing with you know with the Holy Quran has given us a balanced mm. life in front of us. So it's, it's just on on us now to understand it and also imply on it. Imply, yeah, exactly. To to uh, to to imply and then act upon that. Act upon those, it. those things as well. You know, um, social social media uh, has had a big part to play in the rise of uh, the plant based lifestyle as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's said that the the worldwide vegan food market grew from fourteen point four four billion dollars in twenty twenty. To fifteen point seven seven billion dollars in twenty twenty one, and it's forecast to continue growing for the next several years as well. And obviously, just like you mentioned, it's it's something which is you know trend is growing, and a lot of people are coming into there. But a lot of people want to be part of that uh, uh, that as well. Um, you know, we'll continue all of these things a little bit uh, further in just a bit as well. But before that, let's uh, let's speak to our guest who is on the line with us, Sam Calvert, who has a PhD. Um, in Christianity and vegan uh, veganism in, at uh, Birmingham University and as a researcher in residence at the Vegan Society as well. Asalaamu Alaikum, peace be upon you. Good afternoon and welcome to the show, Sam. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, to begin with, can you, can you tell us a little bit more about the Vegan Society and, and, and what you do? Yes, of course. The Vegan Society is um, a registered charity and um, we work uh, predominantly in the UK. Um, We give information and advice on various aspects of veganism Mm -hmm. for both new and people who are people are thinking of going vegan. Uh, we also work with um, professional caterers, with healthcare professionals, um, with educators and with the media. So we're really involved in lots of different campaigns to raise awareness of the vegan lifestyle and to help people to go and stay vegan. Hmm. Interesting, Th- interesting. That's really interesting. So, you know, for our listeners and for myself also, why did you choose to become a vegan Um, For me personally, I became vegetarian um, and that was because of animal rights reasons. I couldn't see any reason why animals should have to die for me to to eat. And having met vegetarians, I thought I can do this. So I Mm -hmm. became vegetarian. I was a vegetarian for about 10 years. And as a result of of my growing awareness of issues around animal rights as a vegetarian, I realized that I couldn't in good conscience and not be vegan because my reason for vegetarianism as I say was about not wanting any animals to die for food and once I realized that it's not possible to eat eggs or dairy products without animals having died I was really in a situation where as a, a matter of conscience I really had to become vegan and that was about 26 years ago now so I've been vegan for 26 years vegetarian for 36 years um, so it's very much part of my life um, and it's something that I've never really looked back on um, I've I've always thought that 
they were the right choices. Um, and if I have any regrets, it's probably that I didn't become vegan sooner, really. Um, it's much easier to become vegan today than it used to be. And I think um, today I would probably have made that journey in a much shorter time. Mm-hmm. So, Sam, you know, you've been vegan for the past 26 years. And as you mentioned, you've been a vegetarian for the past 36 years. So, you know, when you became a, a vegetarian initially, um, was it difficult and were there any health issues risen at that point? Um, I think, you know, certainly going back 26 or 36 years ago when I became vegetarian, it was a very different landscape Um, Mm -hmm. and I think it was much harder to become vegetarian or vegan in those days. Um, It's incredibly easy nowadays because um, it's so much easier to to buy food, ready-made foods even in in supermarkets. You can buy ready-made dishes and ready-made vegan pizzas with with dairy cheese on them, um, non-dairy cheese, that there's kind of so many options really out there, even desserts and chocolate bars. Um, those things weren't as readily available. There were some limited options available in um, in health food stores, but you wouldn't be able to buy ready-made foods. Everything had mm-hmm. to be cooked from scratch, um, which in fairness is probably good for you. It's probably a healthy choice because you know what goes into your food, but yes. um, it wasn't anywhere near as easy. And also simple things like going to a cafe and and um, choosing um, to have a, a cup of coffee with a with um, a non-dairy milk that wasn't available at all outside of say a vegetarian cafe that might cater for vegans so even simple choices everyday choices you had to be very much someone who planned ahead and um, you know took your sandwiches with you or took along a dish to someone's house or a party you it it's so much easier socially now to, to be vegan um, I think in terms of health issues, I can't say I've ever experienced any personally. Mm-hmm. And I think most people, if anything, experience um, that it either makes no difference to their health or that they see an improvement in health depending on what their diet was like previously. A lot of people in the UK do follow quite a poor diet. And often um, veganism means that they um, will eat more fresh fruits and vegetables, more nuts and seeds, more um, pulses. Um, and they're cutting out things which potentially were, you know, um, perhaps more uh, junk food or perhaps had higher levels of fat in them. So often people will see a reduction perhaps in, in, over, in, in, in sort of poor eating habits, eating more fresh fruit and vegetables, which have, you know, long-term benefits to their health. Um, so I think, you know, you can't generalize, um, mm-hmm. but I think on the whole, people are quite likely to see something positive from becoming vegan. Certainly lots of people who become vegan do tell us that they, you know, feel very positively about the benefits to their health. Okay, thank you so much. You know, it was uh, for for myself especially to understand what veganism especially is, because I do tend to eat meat on a, not a regular basis, but more and o- more often than I used to before. But, you know, um, um, for example, you're a vegan and to become a part of the vegan society, do a per- does a person need to be a vegan or not? Uh, no, we, we are a membership organisation, but mm-hmm. we um, we welcome non-vegans as members, um, that they are associate members, um, so it really makes very little difference to them other than um, our members have voting rights in terms of um, decisions which are taken to our annual general meeting but um, non-vegan members are, are equally welcome and um, we're very much keen that they do join us because we want to support them and help them in, in their journey towards veganism so we, we welcome everybody to the vegan society. Thank you. 
You mentioned before that uh, you know becoming a vegan is uh, is a lot easier now than it was twenty thirty years ago. Uh, do you think that there's enough inf- information available for people choosing to become vegans? Um, it's much easier than it used to be. Uh, again, I think if you went back um, 30 years, you'd probably find that only the vegan society was there um, sending you a few leaflets in the post. But um, nowadays, I think that the, the benefit of the internet is that there's so much information available. I think the difficulty these days when it comes to veganism, which has become very popular and very trendy, it's, it's there are lots of influencers on social media talking about veganism. The difficulty today is probably deciding what is good quality information. And I think particularly if people are looking for advice, for example, on critical vitamins like vitamin B12, what should they do to ensure their intakes or, you know, how do they make sure they get enough iodine in their diet? Those are the kind of topics that particularly I would encourage people to come to the vegan society because we employ um, dietitians and we have a lot of information available that's easy to access on our website Um, and we also you can contact us at the vegan society and um, you know we can put you in touch with our dietitians who would be able to give you know good quality advice so I think um, it's always beneficial for people to have a look at the vegan society's website um, and um, and there's lots of information available and that's at um, vegansociety.com Thank you, thank you for that, um, Sam. You, you've uh, you, you have a PhD in uh, in Christianity as well, so I, I just wanted to know that uh, or, or the Abrahamic religions uh, or Christianity mm. as well. They don't sort of uh, promote veganism as such. So is it is there? Mm. I mean, uh, would you like to say something about that? Um, yes, um, my my research looked um, primarily at um, sectarian groups, which um, did follow a, a vegetarian um, a philosophy. Usually, they were complete um, revisions of, of Christianity. Often, they would have a, a central um, leader who was um, influenced by um, by visions or revelations. They would often reinterpret um, the gospels. Uh, to have a sort of a vegetarian interpretation. Mm. There are some more mainstream um, Christian groups which um, are quite accepting of, of um, vegetarianists particularly. Um, and amongst those, I would say, are the Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, perhaps um, a third of their membership would be strictly vegetarian, um, and, and many are vegan. Um, and also, um, you know, you can find that in, in other uh, other traditions, such as the Quakers, uh, again, probably about a third of their membership is is strictly vegetarian, um, and there are certain you know certainly movements towards veganism as well. Mm. Both those groups institutionally will cater for vegetarians as well. So if you went attend a, a Quaker venue or a Seventh Day Adventist um, event, you'll find that the catering will always be vegetarian. Um, so I think they they have those kind of leanings towards um, vegetarianism. Um, so, so there are there are some more mainstream traditions, but but you're quite correct that that um, of course um, you know be, because of the um, be, because of the traditions in the Old Testament, mm. there is there is a leaning towards the consumption of animal products in in um, Christianity and and all Abrahamic um, faiths as well. Mm. Well, thank you for for that uh, as well. Um, do, would you would you from a Christianity for from a Christian perspective would it would it be wrong to, to to eat meat or is it is it just open? I think um, the the sects that tend to be um, quite um, quite concerned about it as an issue that the Christian vegetarian groups tend to take the view that um, in Genesis we're told that. Um, 
um, that that we're given all the fruits of the trees to eat, mm. and um, and that we're given animals um, really very much. We're given dominion, which is a sort of protection of animals. So the argument that they would make is that really our place is perhaps to um, to take care of, to protect animals, mm. and to eat the fruits um, fruits of trees and plants that we're given. Um, and I think that that tends to be the most commonly cited um, text. Um, and I, I think they, they would argue that it's only really after the fall that you, you see um, human beings being given permission um, to consume animal products. And therefore, to get back to that state of Eden, you would need to break down that barrier between man and God by, by um, following a, a frugivorous or vegetarian diet. So that's, that tends to be the thinking around it. Um, of course, mainstream Christianity um, doesn't tend to take that view at all, and you won't find any mainstream Christian faiths preaching vegetarianism or veganism. Right. Although it's never it's never condemned, I don't think. I can't think of any groups in which it would be mandatory to to consume animal products. But but it's certainly not um, not something that's actively campaigned for. Mm. But there are there are always traditions, uh, monastic traditions, for example, and things like Lent. Mm. Um, within Christianity where um, it's very much um, encouraged that people um, reduce their consumption or, or eliminate their consumption of meat. Um, so, I'm, um, you know, in my tradition, Roman Catholicism, Lent is a time where people traditionally gave up meat and would eat uh, perhaps only fish. Um, mm. But this is more, more about um, almost like a kind of um, it, it's about um, purifying yourself by avoiding those products so that you, you give up something that you, you enjoy or care about in order to make yourself a better person, to, be, to kind of remember um, the, the importance of that period. Um, and I think it, it's, not, it's not about animal rights, it's not about environmentalism. And I think for the vegan society, most, most, of, the people, most of the people who join the vegan society come either from a tradition of wanting to um, make things, uh, they, they, they want to make things better for animals, so it's, it's motivated by animal rights or animal welfare, or they're increasingly amongst younger people, environmentalism is, is what's driving it. Very, very interesting. Uh, you know, listening to, to to that as well, and uh, getting your expertise uh, on this. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Sam. Uh, it's been a pleasure speaking to you, and have a lovely day. My, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. So it, it, it was quite interesting, um, you know, t- uh, talking to you know talking to Sam there as well, and discussing these different things yes. as well, and uh, you know what she mentioned about uh, you know about the it's always, Christianity perspective it's always good to have someone to understand their viewpoint also it's not we're just drilling someone so we have a open discussion with them also so we understand where they're coming from so we can learn also as presenters here and the audience also what the point of view of vegans are and why they're um, going that route also so but remember as uh, I mentioned before uh, chapter um, 40 verse 80 that Allah the Almighty um, he is who has uh, made cattles for you uh, that you may ride on some of them and eat of some of them exactly exactly so it's not just you know as you mentioned before as well um, some animals are for a specific task and some animals are for a specific task as well yes even you know we see that the Abrahamic religions uh, which have you know the the accounts of that have been mentioned in the Old Testament and also Jesus has been mentioned in the in the New Testament as well. How they used to eat they used to eat meat they used to have fish. Even Jesus he was a he was a shepherd. Yes, he was a shepherd of who? 
of obviously uh, 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 sheep, isn't it? Of animals. <laughs> of animals, right? He can't be a shepherd of what? Of vegans. You know? of, of, plants. Of, of plants, right? Yes, fine, he can be a farmer. That's that's absolutely correct. But it has been mentioned that, you know, he has been even even when even when Jesus has been mentioned in the Bible and of course the Holy Quran as well, that he has been sent to the the lost the lost sheep of Israel. You know, that that has been mentioned. Yeah, the, tribe. the lost tribes of Israel. Yes. And he has been he's a shepherd for them. He is there to actually gather them together. And the shepherd is that who you know gathers all of the animals, you know the the sheep or the goats or whatever together, right? And he was sent to all of them, so he is the shepherd, and so uh, he was a m- he, a physically and a physically and a meta- exactly that's exactly what I want to say, physically and metaphorically. So mm-hmm. if you know, is, is, how can you know how can Jesus have, have been have been a, have been a vegan? Even it has been mentioned that you know he eats uh, he eats, he eats fish. fish with his that's disciples with his followers. And everything, uh, everything as well. Um, so you know, it's uh, it, sometimes it's it's quite interesting what uh, what other people have actually have to say um, about it. So sometimes you see, um, I'm not talking about anyone in particular, but sometimes you ask someone about uh, their belief, and then they go they go around, they keep on going around. They don't actually specifically answer um, what you're tra- what you're trying to ask them as well about the question. But still. It's interesting to to get other people's views and opinions and how yes. they sort of justify themselves uh, uh, as well. But you know, as the teachings of Islam are quite quite clear, there's no there's no shying away from the teachings of Islam. Everything is clear cut. There's no there's no beating around the bush. Um, you know, it's as you mentioned um, that uh, you know there are some plants. Oh, and sorry, there are some animals which are there for for our enjoyment, for our for you know from get to. From uh, for us for to get to one place to another place for us to ride on, and then there are anim- other animals so that we can we can consume as well. Yes, even you know, for example, the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, who was the um, founder of Islam, and you know he we say okay we 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 eat animals as in the Holy Quran it says eat some uh, ride on some eat mm. some right yeah but uh, even the holy prophet was the the treatment towards the animals exactly. we can see from him so the holy prophet wasallam was very kind-hearted and merciful the holy prophet wasallam not only preached to people to show kindness to each other but also to all living souls mm. so it's not just just human beings so everyone who's a living a living um, um soul Exactly. He always exactly. treated animals with great care and love. The Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam forbade the practice of cutting tails and means a menace, menace, menace of horses. Hmm. The uh, manes, isn't manes, it? Manes of horses. Yeah, yeah. born UK born and German <laughs> born. The difference there, uh, or branding of animals at any soft spot, spot and of keeping horses saddles unnecessarily exactly so, so basically treating the animals nicely isn't it yes it, that's the thing the holy prophet was teaching us all this stuff um, from the from the uh, from the, the get go get go yes exactly and told us okay, we should be respectful towards animals also not just human beings but also mm. to other um, um, beings around us so and always think about them not because th- th- these animals we use them for transportation. Even nowadays, in the 21st century, we're using animals for transportation. Also, we use animals to feed us. We use animals to clothe us, right? Mm. So it, without animals 
as such we won't be having these um, these things so we should be always be respectful so that that's why we shouldn't be going excessively at to one extreme or the, or towards the other extreme so always have a balanced life mm. a balanced diet that's why we had um a pre-recording show done with priya to who um priya is an award winning experienced registered dietitian and a nutrition professional with a degree in nutritional sciences and a master of dietetics priya is a specialist in eating disorders and is registered with the health professionals council at the british dietetic um, association so i will play a the pre-recording done with her and then i'll tell a bit more of, uh, afterwards about her auzubillahi minash shaitanir rajeem bismillahir rahmanir rahim Today we are speaking about veganism, and we have with us a professional who will let us know what this all what is, what this is all about. So we have Priya, who is an award-winning, experienced, registered dietitian and nutrition professional with a degree in nutritional sciences and a master's in dietetics. Priya is also a specialist in eating disorders. um and is registered with the health professionals council and the british dietetic association with this short introduction i would like to welcome priya to the show assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh peace and blessings of allah be upon you how are you priya today i'm really good and thank you so much for that lovely introduction thank you so much so first of all for the audience who will be listening to you on on tuesday can you tell us a bit more about yourself and what you do Of course so I'm a dietitian which means that I help people who have got medical conditions and I help them through the use of nutrition mm-hmm. um and I run a private clinic um mainly online and I mainly work helping people who have got disordered eating eating disorders irritable bowel syndrome um and polycystic ovary syndrome so those are my main areas um i also work with different food brands and i sometimes work with the television and with the media as well um and the other big bit around me is that i'm mum to a very busy household so i have six children in my household so i'm very used to having to cook for lots of different needs and provide the nutrition for a family as well that's you know, really important especially with young children when they're at a small age nutrition for them is really important and you know we know as veganism is gaining a lot of popularity recently do you think one can have a healthy well balanced diet being a vegan yes absolutely you can there's no reason why you can't mm-hmm. i think it's just a little bit more complicated because when you're cutting out foods from animals such as meat fish eggs dairy mm-hmm. um It, you have to find something to replace those nutrients and the nutrients that are found in animal products tend to be um what we call complete proteins and they have a lot of um minerals that can be harder to find from some of the plant sources mm-hmm. unless you plan it out and you have a really good knowledge so it's all about knowledge really so you just you just mentioned complete protein can you just explain a bit more for the audience yes yeah, so a complete protein contains all of the essential amino acids those are the building blocks our body needs to make proteins and muscle for example and hormones okay. so an animal protein contains all of those amino acids in one food 
Whereas with plant proteins, you don't get all of them within your food. So you have to have a range of different plant proteins to meet your needs, which isn't a problem. It just means that as somebody going on a plant-based diet or a vegan diet, you don't want to just eat the same foods day in, day out. You want to have as much variety as you possibly can across your week. Perfect. And, you know, uh, we just mentioned also you need to be really careful those proteins you use from um, plants. So what do you think people need to be made aware before they choose to become a vegan? I think before you choose to go vegan, the most important thing is to plan, to get hold of lots of recipes, try them out before you go fully vegan. There is absolutely no harm in going plant-based or vegan for some days of the week and see how you get on. Learn the foods that you really like and start experimenting. So you need to be eating beans and pulses, so things like lentils and chickpeas and all the different types of beans, nuts and seeds, things like tofu, for example, or tempeh. You need to have that wide diversity across your week rather than it just being lentils only that you're having. Yes. You know, when you go into veganism and all that section, what are the health consequences of a vegan uh, who's vegan for a long term? any bad effects good effects or is it just the same if you have a meat and vegan uh, sorry vegetarian diet at the same time so there can be additional health benefits it can be really good for your heart health and your overall physical health and help you reduce the risk of some chronic diseases as long as you're meeting all of your needs so there's key nutrients like calcium and iodine and iron for example that you need to make sure that you're getting enough of those foods enough of those nutrients and if you are then you can be perfectly healthy and actually you can be um you can improve your health risks through going on a vegan diet but if you are relying more on the processed foods mm-hmm. then you're potentially not going to have as healthy and balanced a diet as you should and that's not going to give you those health benefits so for example myself i eat meat I eat veget- uh, vegetables, and but, but I have a balanced diet myself. So I, three days I have uh, veg- uh, vegetables, two days I have some meat, fish, something with that. And then once in a, in a week, I eat out also. So whatever that might be, maybe pizzas, burgers, anything. So it, for, for me, that's also a balanced diet because I'm doing my sports, getting my, I was called cardio in and all that section. But will it be more beneficial for myself if i become a vegetarian or is it is it fine as a whole if i if i eat meat once or twice a week or and have veg, vegetables for three or four days in a week i think what you've just described sounds really balanced because you're giving yourself the foods that you like you're giving yourself the option of eating out as well mm-hmm. but you're also making sure that you're getting in the plant foods because we know these plant foods are really important yes. if you're worried about health consequences then think about just using less meat so for some meals using half meat half lentils or beans for example that's what we do in our house we use less of the meat but yes. we still have it on several days of the week. So you can be perfectly healthy following either diet. It's just thinking overall, what's the balance of the food like that I'm having? Mm -hmm. So is it difficult to maintain a wealthy weight on a vegan diet? 
it really depends what you're eating. So you could be on a vegan diet and be eating vegan chocolate brownies and lots of processed foods all of the time, in which case it's not going to be great for your weight. Or you can be on a vegan diet where you're eating your tofu, your vegetables um, and your grains, in which case it is going to be really good for your weight. So it again, it comes down to not just being on a vegan diet, but planning out what are the foods that you're going to use on that diet. And also reading the ingredients at the back of the packaging, especially sometimes it has some um, chemicals, even in meat, this the right E something and um, all that. You have to make sure you know all the ingredients, right? Well, as what much is- as possible, cooking from scratch is the way forward. So yes. rather than buying the meat already cooked in a ready meal, you know, making it yourself from scratch um, would be the way forward. And that's the thing my parents, my, sorry, my mom also does this for me. She cooks the meal from scratch. She brings the meat or she brings the vegetables. She knows what she's putting inside that very pot. And without knowing normally what I do is if I'm going to my office, I just have something, uh, I grab a, a bite on the way from, let's say, Greg's or somewhere else. Uh, but I don't know what's inside it. I know what, what it is, but I don't know what's included inside that very making yeah so there's a big difference between having your vegan sausage roll from greg's or having made your sandwich and taken it in with you um yes. and if you are on a vegan diet and you're living off vegan sausage rolls it's not going to be as balanced and as good for your weight and overall health as somebody who is making their own couscous salad and taking it in with them for example you know previous coming into the questions also but but before i let you go first of all thank you for coming on this show and pre-recording it with us but uh, for the audience can you give your last remarks regarding this whole thing i would say that there is no need to go a hundred percent on a vegan diet um mm. you could do if you wanted to but i think everybody should be trying to include more plants and cook from scratch as much as they can perfect thank you so much and thank you again for coming on western islam and recording it with us today thank you Thank you so much. So this was Priya to who graciously um, was um, kind enough to do a pre-recording with us mm. a couple of days back, and the way she was speaking, and it, uh, um, hopefully uh, the audience ha- were able to understand um, regarding balanced diets and what to eat, and what not to eat, and how mm. to eat. Even for myself, he, she, um, she has a big family she's a, she's a large family herself she knows how to um you know um get uh, what nutrients the children need yeah even when i was uh, speaking to her that day she was making cupcakes with with, with the children right and she had a busy family a family at that time mm. and i was like okay so i was like okay i won't take that much time of hers mm. and i was you know it was really nice to sp- uh, speak to speak to her and to understand she knows what she's feeding the children and especially you know for uh, the ch- child's growth, it, the parents should know what they're giving to the children. Not just go out, uh, out and just buy something uh, ready me um, ready meals, mm. and you see at the back of the package it says ingredients and it has um, some kind of chemicals or a, the ingredients which we do not know about. Mm. So it's always better to make food from scratch so you know what you're um, putting inside. Even with the way Sam she also explained, you should always know what you're eating. So it's better to make it from scratch than mm. buy it from outside, which you do not know about um, how it was made and what environment it was made, especially. Exactly, exactly. So all of these things are 
are quite uh, quite important, isn't it? And, yes. and the more awareness uh, is raised, uh, the more people would actually get educated and know more about this uh, uh, as well, um, isn't it? Um, the, uh, you know, there are some some uh, you know some some interesting things uh, about uh, you know about giving giving uh, animals their rights as well. Yes, and we were mentioning before we actually listened to the interview as well, the pre-recorded interview. That the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he he, because he was the mercy for the whole of the universe, right? The whole of the creation of God, and uh, the way that he presented himself, the teachings that he gave were universal, not just for Muslims or not just for human beings, but for animals. And you gave some examples there before as well. And of course, there's so many other examples uh, as well, isn't it? So yes, like for example, the Holy Prophet of Islam once um, stated that a Jewish woman. Um, was uh, once punished by the uh, Allah the Almighty for starving her cat to death. Mm-hmm. So you know, a small animal, for example, a cat, which which we have millions and millions of them, right? Yeah. And God punished someone just because uh, um, uh, their due care wasn't taken care right. of. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So you know, the animal rights. We should always be you know, respectful, mindful, to of, the, that mindful well, yeah. of them. Yeah. Also, we should always respect them um, regarding this. And, also regarding uh, veganism um once a question was asked to the um to Hazrat Khalifa al Masih al Khamis mm. so fourth caliph uh, fifth, fifth fifth caliph Khamis Khamis oh, fifth caliph the current, the current current head, current head of uh, uh, the Muslim Association okay. um, um which was asked and has a questionnaire was asked how vegans can be convinced that eating meat is not wrong mm. So this is also our topic today and I, I'll try to keep, keep really short because we have another guest pre-recording to play also. So Hazur said regarding this, we understand that Allah the Almighty has said that we should have a balanced diet by eating meat and vegetables. If someone does not like to eat meat, then they should not have to eat meat. If people think it is wrong to slaughter an animal, then we should also refuse to breathe and drink water because there are living organisms that die when we drink exactly. water or breathe. Exactly, very beautiful. And then Hazur further on says, when we plant vegetables, insects die because uh, because of that too. It, um, if it is injustice to eat meat, then we are also eating vegetables. So eating an animal directly or taking a life indirectly, the result is the same. We are taking a life in any case very beautifully isn't it yes and uh, I, mean, I mean what better answer can there be as well uh, we we were fortunate enough also to to interview professor amtukar michael amtur razak michael as well let's listen to what she had to say today we have with us professor amtul razak who is a consultant she graduated in 1987 with gold medal for academic excellence and undertook a surgical training in major teaching hospitals in London, Edinburgh, and Philadelphia, United States. She has authored many articles for major peer-reviewed scientific journals. With this short introduction, I would like to welcome her to the drive time pre-recording and thank you for agreeing for the pre-recording. Assalamu alaikum, Professor Carmichael, how are you? Very well, thank you. Assalamu alaikum. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you and your listeners. Exactly. So the topic, as you know, is regarding veganism and around it. And me being myself a meat lover also. 
So what benefits does meat bring to our diet? The benefits of eating meat are that meat provides a high-protein diet, which is rich in amino acids such as glycine, which are lacking in plant. Meat provides us with good quality amino acids and provides us with vitamin B12. These nutrients are not available in plant-based diet. Another way to look at meat is that it is a energy-dense protein. So for the amount of uh, food you need to take to take good amount of energy as well as nutrient is mm-hmm. a lot less than what you would need with um, vegetable-only diet. Therefore, meat offers us a very healthy component of a balanced, healthy diet required for um, well-being and health. And the next question um, is, you know, I always, um, as I've already mentioned, I like eating meat and I'm a meat lover also. But if, for example, I go meat-free, what impact would that have on my health? Um, as a meat lover or not, it's best to have meat in um, moderate quantities. Yes. Because excess of anything, as Islam teaches us, is bad That's for our health. That's correct. If you choose to have a diet which has no meat in it, mm-hmm. then you were likely to run into problems of low iron, which makes people anemic, mm-hmm. low calcium, which makes people prone to osteoporosis, low vitamin B12, which makes people prone to vitamin deficiency anemia, and okay. general low energy. To compensate for that, people whose diet is solely based on plants uh, will need to take supplements so that they have those necessary components in their diet. Exactly, Professor Carmichael. You know, my next question was exactly, what are the consequences were if we cut out meat from our diet? And graciously, you have answered a bit, um, low iron, having vitamin B, um, lack of vitamin B12, and which causes anemia on top of it. And the third question I wanted to ask is, does meat substitution provide the same amount of nutrients as having meat? So meat substitutes are genetic, scientifically engineered. And mm-hmm. in terms of texture and taste, they are quite close to meat. However, we must remember these are processed products. Okay. And they may or may not provide nutrients which are um, available in the same quantity of natural meat. So it all very much depends on what type of meat substitute you are looking at, how processed it is, how it ha- how far has it got to travel in the world with the carbon mm-hmm. footprint. So not all meat substitutes offer you adequate replacement nutrition nutrients that you can get with the meat. Okay. Uh, with this, uh, what as a question just came in my mind, you know, we have also meat, processed meat also. So what type of meat should we look at normally when we're going out to buy groceries? So um, organic, fresh meat 
is mm-hmm. perhaps the best source of nutrients. More meat is processed or it is mechanically recovered, then the nutritional value of that meat is relatively less. Processed foods have chemical agents that can damage our health. Mm -hmm. So if you can afford, then perhaps organically raised farm animals, which are uh, are free range, would Mm -hmm. be the right thing to have. You have less meat, but you have quality meat. And that's good for the environment and that's good for our health. No, that's very correct, what you said, Professor Carmichael here. Even when uh, when I go back to my home country, Pakistan, I, I was there once because my parents are from there and I went to the village. They also have the free range animals which are roaming around in the fields and they slaughter them for meat also. And that's, re- that's the best way of organic foods they used to get there. And everything over there was really organic because the fuels are providing for them at the same time. So what would your advice be to someone who, who's wanting to be a vegan? Um, as Ahmadi Muslims, we uh-huh. follow the teachings of the Holy Quran and the, Holy Pro- and the, and the Sunnah of the Holy Prophet Peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Um, it is incumbent on Muslims to sacrifice animals at the occasion of Eid al-Adha. So I would think that Islam teaches us to have small amount of meat in our diet. Um, mm-hmm. So just giving up meat altogether without a very good health, without health reason like allergy or intolerance, perhaps is not a very wise thing to do. Small amount of organic meat is good part of a healthy diet. It saves long-term complications of osteoporosis, fractures, anemia. Um, so I don't I, I, I would strongly ask the person to reconsider their options and say that why would they want to have things which are not natural, which have been processed, which have high carbon footprint, and we don't know where the source is. As you said yourself, in Pakistan, where it is possible for you to see the animals roaming around and all that, then you know what the source of your food is. In, mm-hmm. in terms of processed uh, artificial meat, you have no idea what has gone inside that meat, where it's coming from, and that perhaps is not a very comfortable thing. Exactly, Professor Carmichael. Just remember, uh, in the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty has mentioned, I will read chapter 40, verse 80. Allah the Almighty says, Allah is who has made cattle for you, that you may ride on some of them and eat some of them. So this means even though we can kill animals for food, we should never do so for sport or any fun activities. The Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has said in a narration that whoever kills a sparrow or anything bigger than that without a just cause, God will hold him accountable on the day of judgment. And with this, I would like to thank Professor Carmichael for joining us today for the pre-recording show and hopefully for the audience they will be able to 
to take away something new from this. Jazakallah. Jazakallah. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you and your audience. Jazakallah. So that was a pre-recording uh, uh, of, uh, uh, of of our guest over there, Professor Amtul Razak. Carl Michael, it was a pleasure to 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 you know to listen to to that one as well, and thank you to her as well. So this was our this was our show for today, I and mean, of course, you know, w- one thing that we can actually take away from this one is that the balance needs to be there, um, and justice needs to be there as well. Because sometimes, as you know, as what you mentioned, what His Holiness mentioned, and that if you're you know if they, if they're saying one thing that you know because they don't want animals to die, mm-hmm. because you know they don't want them to consume it because they die. Um, what about you know when 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 you plant vegetables or other plants as well? So it's basically the same thing, but it was a very very interesting and jam packed show. Um, firstly, we you know we spoke we spoke about uh, speech delays, and also of course veganism. So very very interesting shows, uh, uh, very interesting topics that we spoke about on today's drive time show as well. And of course, thank you to all of our guests who took time out and spoke to us very eloquently and uh, hopefully the listeners benefited from uh, from uh, from that as well. And of course, thank you to the researchers and the producers as well for today's show. Um, Zuhra Mubashir, Soma Ahmed, Tayyiba Nasir as well. Uh, it was a pleasure presenting with you, Saad, and of course, uh, Zakrat to Akib in the technical support. Until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Wa alaikum as